Alright, we're doing Numbers 23 and 24 today. Numbers 23 and 24. Numbers chapter 23. All the way through the end of 24. We're going to pray before we jump in. God, we thank You that You are the Ancient of Days and that Your throne has always been and it will always remain and that we can always trust You. No matter what's going on um, in the world around us, You are the Ancient of Days and we can trust in You. We thank You that Your Word is believable. It is sufficient. It is our authority, and we thank You that by Your Spirit, um, you, you plant Your Word in the hearts of Your people. So we pray that You would do that this morning. In Christ's name, Amen. It's possible that, um, that uh, some of you listen, sort of like my four-year-old son Silas listens, um, the other day, um, and he's in here, but he's not paying attention, so I can tell this story. Um, the other day, it was time to brush his teeth. So I, I went to the bathroom, and I got his toothbrush and his um, toothpaste and everything, and I said, Silas, come here, it's time to get your teeth brushed. And I could hear him playing in the other room. He just kept playing. So I said, Silas, come here and get your teeth brushed. And he came in. I didn't hear you the first time, Dad. I only heard you the second time. I eh, maybe, but I don't. I don't think it works that way, buddy. I. Anyhow, so if you didn't hear the first time, the Word of God is giving us a second chance. We last week, what we heard from Numbers chapter twenty-two is that if God has decided to bless His people then no one can stop him. If God has decided to bless His people, then no one can stop Him. That's the, that's the point of Numbers 22. And as we look at Numbers 23 and 24, we're going to see God is going to make that same point in His Word again today. King Balak, maybe you remember from last week if you were here, King Balak is the king of the Moabites and he is afraid because the people of Israel are moving in. They're, they're coming into the promised land and, and the king of Moab and his Moabites are worried because there are a lot of Israelites. And, and they're a huge nation. They've won some big battles and, and they're, they're getting ready to move into Canaan and so Balak wants to figure out a way to stop them. He's afraid that they're going to wipe Moab out. And so Balak, Balak, Balak sends for Balaam, 400 miles away, pays him all kinds of money to come, and, and he says, King Balak says to Balaam, Balaam, you're, you're this great sorcerer, you're this great diviner, I want you to, I want you to pronounce a curse on the people of Israel. And this was a very common thing back then. It seems very weird to us now, but it was a very common thing back then. You pronounce this curse on the people of Israel, that way Moab can, can defeat them in battle. It's a great plan. 
Well, we saw last week, Balaam wasn't going to be able to get away with this. He's just, he's not going to be able to curse Israel if God doesn't want him to. But Balak is thinking, no, let's, let's go for it anyhow. Balaam, Balaam, by the end of the chapter last week, was finally convinced. And he says, Balak, it's not going to work unless God lets me. And God's not going to let me. But, but Balak is a, is a polytheist. He believes in a whole bunch of gods. He believes that the God of Israel is just one of many gods. And they're all basically on the same level. So he thinks that there's some way we can, we can negotiate with this God and get him to sort of change his mind. And, and, and we, can, we can figure out something. So he says, no, Balaam, let's, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's figure it out. Balaam, you're a sorcerer. You can, you can get... You can get this done. You can make this happen. Well, we're going to see again this week, no. No, 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 no. No, if, if God has decided to bless His people, no one can stop Him. And, and we get some, some added bonuses this week as well because God is going to give us, in His Word, three reasons why you cannot curse God's people. Why you cannot rip the blessing away from God's people. That's going to be our sermon this morning. Three reasons why you cannot curse God's people. Balaam and Balak are going to learn this. So let's start. Well, we have to start at the end of chapter 22. At the end of chapter 22 in verse 41, it says, In the morning, Balak took Balaam and brought him up to Bamoth Baal, and from there he saw a fraction of the people. Alright, so now as we open up chapter 23, we're going to see, here's the first reason why you cannot curse God's people. And the first reason is, God loves His people. God loves His people. Verses 1-12, through 12, And Balaam said to Balak, so, so here they are, they're, they're up and they're in Bamoth Baal, they're up in the high places. This is kind of like Baal territory. So I think what Balak is thinking here is he's thinking, if I, if I bring Balaam up to Baal territory, maybe, maybe the God of Israel's coverage is not as great there. Okay, so maybe the God of Israel won't be as powerful if we're like in Baal territory. Maybe he'll be easier to negotiate with. He'll be easier to manipulate. And so that's what brings us to chapter 23. And Balaam said to Balak, build for me here seven altars and prepare for me here seven bulls and seven rams. And Balak did as Balaam had said. And Balak and Balaam offered on each altar a bull and a ram. So this is going to be, this is going to be pretty expensive. This whole deal for Balak is an expensive Deal, and this is this is pretty typical sorcery. Um, if you read like um, like old tablets from ancient Babylon, um, this is what the this is what the sorcerers did. They had very similar kinds of things. They'd get seven altars, and they'd get seven animals, and they'd kill the animals, and they kind of offer them up to whoever they were trying to get to help them pronounce a curse. And and so this is pretty typical stuff that Balaam is trying to pull here. Verse three, and Balaam said to Balak, "Stand beside your burnt offering, and I will go." Perhaps the Lord will come to meet me. Um, he uses that word perhaps um, a lot. God doesn't use that word perhaps. Um, God does what he wants to do. Balaam and Balak, though, are, they live in the world of maybe. They throw a lot of money at it. They throw a lot of time and energy at it. They hold their mouth just right, and maybe it'll work. Perhaps the Lord will come to meet me, and whatever he says, he, whatever he shows me, I will tell you. And he went to a bare height, and God met Balaam. 
And Balaam said to him, I have arranged the seven altars and I have offered on each altar a bull and a ram. And the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth. Not the word that Balak wants, but the Lord puts a word in Balaam's mouth and said, return to Balak and thus you shall speak. Verse 6, and he returned to him and behold, he and all the princes of Moab were standing beside his burnt offering and Balaam took up his discourse and said, from Aram, Balak has brought me. So this is the word, this is the word of the Lord. This is the, the word the Lord has given to Balaam to say. This is all he can say. He can say nothing but what God has given him to say, and this is it. From Aram, Balak has brought me, the king of Moab from the eastern mountains. Come, curse Jacob for me, and come, denounce Israel. That's my job. Verse 8, how can I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? For from the top of the crags I see him. Here we are on the, the, the mountains. From the hills I behold him. And him there is, the, is sort of like uh, poetic for the nation of Israel. For Jacob, the nation of Israel, the nation of Jacob. I see him. Behold, verse 9, and we'll get back to this in a second, a people dwelling alone and not counting itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number the fourth part of Israel? There's tons of them out there. This is a huge nation. And then he says, and Balak hated this, let me die the death of the upright and let my end be like his. And Balak said to Balaam, what have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies and behold, you have done nothing but bless them. And he answered, verse 12, and said, must I not take care to speak what the Lord puts in my mouth? So this is, a, I mean, this is their first try. They're going to they're gonna try a couple more times. This is the first try. Balak wants Balaam to put a curse on Israel, but Balaam cannot do that because God will not allow it. And our first reason here we see in these verses, the first reason you cannot curse whom God has blessed, you cannot curse God's people, is because God loves His people. Verse 9 is an amazing verse. The end of it there says, Behold, a people dwelling alone and not counting itself among the nations. What, what is being said there? There's, it's being said that in God's eyes, these people dwell alone, which means they stand alone. They are unique. They are special. They are set apart. They belong to God. They're not just any old nation. They're, just, they're not just any old people. They are His people. They, they, among all the nations in the world, they stand alone. And this is because of the promise that He has made to them in verse 10. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number the fourth part of Israel? This is, this is um, Habakkuk. Or, or I mean, well, I was teaching Habakkuk in Sunday school and it's not Habakkuk. This is Balaam and he's remembering, he's remembering this great promise that God made to Abraham. God says to Abraham, I have chosen you. You are going to be a mighty nation. Your, your, your people are going to be more numerous than the sand on the seashore. You're going to be a huge family. Because I have chosen you. Balaam says, look at these people. You can't count them. That's because God has chosen them. God has made them His people. They are special to God. He loves His people. And we have seen that His people are not always all that lovable. But the eternal blessing of God can never and will never be ripped from them. Here's the truth for me. I... um, 
I belong to God. In God's opinion, I stand alone. And those of you who know me well, I know there's some new people who would think, ah, Steve is probably, uh, he's probably a five or six on a lovable scale. No, he's not. Nope. No, he's not. Just like you, I am selfish. I'm easily offended. I can't imagine God finds that super lovable. I'm distracted from the things that matter and I obsess over things that don't matter. I can't imagine God finds that all that lovable. I am prone to being apathetic and unthankful and self-righteous. None of that is what God is looking for in His family. Why does God love me? God loves me because He loves me. God loves me because He has decided to love me. He loves His people. He loves those who belong to Him. If you belong to God this morning, then He loves you. And it's not because He doesn't know you all that well. He knows you. He knows you better than anybody else knows you. He loves you. God's saying to Balak, you can't curse them. Those are my people. You can't touch them. They belong to me. I love them. That's our first reason this morning. Second reason, God doesn't change his mind. God doesn't change his mind. Verses 13-24 through 24 says, and, and Balak said to him, please come with me to another place. We, we, we started off in a bad spot. We're going to switch places. It's going to be much better. Please come with me to another place from which you may see them. You shall only see a fraction of them and shall not see them all. I, I don't know if, if Balak thought that Balaam sort of got um, intimidated here because he saw too many of them at once and wasn't able to pronounce the curse. He got stage fright or something. I'm not sure what Balak is thinking. But Balaam's, he, I'm going to set the conditions so that you can get this done. You're not going to be able to see all of them. It's going to be less intimidating. Let's do it. Then curse them for me from there. Verse 14, And he took them to the field of Zophim, to the top of Pisgah, and built seven altars and offered a bull and a ram, same rigmarole, on each altar. Balaam said to Balak, Stand here beside your burnt offering while I meet the Lord over there. And the Lord met Balaam and put a word in his mouth and said, Return to Balak, and thus you shall speak. And he came to him, and behold, he was standing beside his burnt offering and the princes of Moab with him. And Balak said to him, What has the Lord spoken? And Balak, or Balaam took up his discourse and said, Rise, Balak, and hear. Give ear to me, O son of Zippor. God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and he will not fulfill it? Behold, I receive a command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot revoke it. He has not misheld, or he has not beheld misfortune in Jacob, nor has he seen trouble in Israel. This, this trouble you want me to pronounce is not coming. It's not happening. 
The Lord their God is with them. And the shout of a king is among them. God brings them out of Egypt and, and is for them like the horns of the wild ox. For there is no enchantment against Jacob, no divination against Israel. Now it shall be said of Jacob and Israel, what has God wrought? Behold, a people, as a lioness it rises up, and as a lion it lifts itself. It does not lie down until it has devoured the prey and drunk the blood of the slain. Balak is he's thinking here, maybe I, I know God has said that these people are unique. They are special. They belong to Him. He has set His love on them. And he, he, is, he has made this promise to them. He has chosen them from all the other nations. But maybe if we, if, we, if we fix things just right, maybe God will change His mind. I know, he said, I, know, I know God has said that they're special, but maybe if we negotiate just right, maybe God will change His mind. God doesn't work that way. God's not, God's not negotiating. God's not going to be reactionary. God's not going to be manipulated. Listen to how God describes Himself. This is what, this, listen carefully, this is what God wants you to know about Himself. Verse 19, God is not man that He should lie, or a son of man that He, he should change His mind. God doesn't change His mind. Has he said, and he will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? If God has set out to do something, then he is going to do it. He's not going to change his mind halfway through. If God has set out to do something, he is going to do it. He's not going to reverse course midstream. Now, 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 now listen, we hear this from God, right? We hear from God that He never changes His mind. But then it seems to us sometimes like He does change His mind, right? If you, even, even as we're reading through the book of Numbers, we're, we're watching the story of the people of Israel unfold. And, and we see stories like when, when God warns Moses, he says, I'm going to wipe out this people and I'm going to restart with you, Moses. He, 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 God says to Moses, I'm going to wipe out the people of Israel. I'm going to, I'm going to start a new nation with, with you, Moses. And then Moses pleads for God to relent. He says, no God, please remember your glory and your mercy and your promise to Abraham. And so God does relent. God says, I, 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 won't, I won't wipe out the nation. And so in that moment, of course, it seems like God has changed His mind. It seems from our perspective that God has changed His mind. But then what does He Himself say about Himself here? He says, I don't change my mind. I don't. I don't. So when we're reading through Scripture, we take what God says as, as truth. And that's how we interpret the stories we see in Scripture. That's how we interpret what we see in our lives. How God describes Himself in His Word. And so we must just assume that it was always God's, it was God's eternal intention that, that, that He would spare His people because of Moses' intercession. Just like it was His eternal intention to, to spare His people through the cross of Jesus Christ. Can we understand all of this? Well, I can. You, you cannot. I, I've got it. I just can't. I can't explain it to people like you. <laughs> You're welcome, Stan. 
Just kidding. There's, there's much about the mind of God that we don't understand. There's much we don't understand. But we can be thankful. I've given God plenty of reason to change His mind about me. Have you? Have you given God plenty of reason to change His mind about you? We live in a world where people say, I, I, will, I, will, um, I will love you until the day I die. I will be faithful to you till the day I die. And what happens? They change their mind. Sometimes it's because the other person gave them really good reason to change their mind. We live in a world where there's a lot of mind changing. God, in His grace, Ephesians teaches me, and in His eternal purposes, Isaiah teaches me, God set His love on me before He created the world. Why did He do this? I don't know. I don't know. But I do know, there's there's lots of things I don't understand. There's lots of things I don't understand. But I, I do know that the ultimate foundational reason why I'm saved today is because God doesn't change His mind. The ultimate foundational reason why, why I am not only saved today, but I'm going to be in heaven for, the, for, for all of eternity is because God doesn't change His mind. The only reason that I care about being holy, the only reason I care about being faithful and obedient, and the only reason that, that by God's grace I'm, I'm growing in the ability to be so, is because God doesn't change His mind. Our verses describe... That's what I'm saying. I love it. My thoughts exactly. Our verses this morning describe God as a king amidst His people, defending them, winning their battles like a wild ox. They are safe because the God who never changes His mind is with them. So verse 23, there's no enchantment against Jacob. There's no divination against Israel. God's people can, can never have the blessing of God ripped away from them. No matter how powerful the enchantment or divination. Why? Because He loves us. And why does He love us? Because in Christ, He has decided to. And He never changes His mind. Third reason. Third reason is not going to work, Balak. It's not going to work. You can keep trying, but it's not going to work. Here's the third reason why you cannot take the blessing away from God's people. You cannot curse God's people. One, He loves His people. Two, He's not going to change His mind about that. And three, God's promises of salvation and judgment are kept in Jesus. God's promises of salvation and judgment are kept in Jesus. Chapter 23, verse 25 says, And Balak said to Balaam, Do not curse them at all, and do not bless them at all. Just please stop talking. Please stop. Please stop. Every time we try, you, you, you fail. Verse 26, But Balaam answered Balak, Did I not tell you all that the Lord says that I must do? And Balak said to Balaam, Come now, I will take you to another place, perhaps 
Perhaps it will please God that you may curse them for me from there. So he's going to try again. I love his, I love his persistence. He's so cute. So, so Balak took Balaam to the top of Peor, which overlooks the desert. And Balaam said to Balak, build for me here seven altars and prepare for me here seven bulls and seven rams. And Balak did as Balaam had said and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. When Balak, chapter 24, verse 1, when Balak saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go, as at other times, to look for omens, but set his face toward the wilderness. So this is just, you know, they, they, get, the, they get the altars, and, and they, they get all the, 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 the bulls and the rams, but Balaam's like, I'm not even going to go through the rest of this. this. This whole spiel that I do, I'm not even going to go through it, because I see that God is going to bless Israel. So... Balaam is just going to, he is just going to be filled with the words of God and he is just going to say them. Verse 2, and Balaam lifted up his eyes and saw Israel camping tribe by tribe and the Spirit of God came upon him, which the Spirit of God did in the Old Testament, even upon people who didn't believe. The Spirit of God would rush upon them and and do things through them, just like this. And he, he took up his discourse and said, the oracles of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is open, the oracle of him who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty, falling down with his eyes uncovered. And then starting verse 5, he's going to give like the future of the people of God. He's going to say, this is the future of the people of God. Verse 5, how lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your encampments, Oh, Israel. So he's looking out there and it's the desert. They're camping in the desert. But he sees a future much better than that. Like palm groves that stretch afar. Like gardens beside a river. Like aloes that the Lord has planted. Like cedar trees beside the waters. Water shall flow from his buckets and his seed shall be in many waters. Which is probably a very interesting um, interesting poetic way of describing procreation um, like a huge, huge family. It's probably what that is. Um, Odd, but I think true. All right. Water shall flow from his buckets and his seed shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agag and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brings him out of Egypt and is for him like the horns of the wild ox. He shall eat up the nations. And Balak is probably loving this. He shall eat up the nations, his adversaries, and shall break their bones in pieces and pierce them through with his arrows. He crouched. He lay down like a lion and like a lioness. Who will rouse him up? Blessed are those who bless you and cursed are those who curse you. This is the glorious future of the people of God. They will be strong and safe forever. They will be like trees planted by water. They will be indestructible overcomers forever. Not surprisingly, Balak doesn't love this. Verse 10, And Balak's anger was kindled against Balaam, and he struck his hands together. And Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies, and behold, you have blessed them these three times. Therefore now flee to your own place. I said, I will certainly honor you, which means pay you a lot of money, but the Lord has held you back from honor. And Balaam said to Balak, Did I not tell your messengers whom you sent to me? If Balak should give me his house full of silver and gold, I would not be able to go beyond the word of the Lord to do either good or bad of my own will. What the Lord speaks, that will I speak. And now, behold, I am going to my people. Come, I will let you know what this people will do to your people in the latter days. So now Balaam is going to keep going with this oracle even though Balak wants him to shut up. But Balaam doesn't have a choice. Balaam is filled with the Word of God and he's just going to keep going. 
And he took up his discourse. This is a free one. This is a this is a, this is an this is an additional um, extra track on the end of the album. And he took up his discourse and said, "The the oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the the oracle of a man whose eye is opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now." I behold him, but not near. So he's, he's saying, he's saying, this is gonna, this is gonna be stuff that happens to God's people in the latter days. This is the latter days, he said back in 14. This is, this is not the immediate future. This is coming. Verse, verse, the end of verse 17. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. A star is coming, and a king is coming. Star the king, it shall crush the forehead of Moab. Love, I think Balak and the king of the king of the Moabites loved that, and break down all the sons of Sheth. Edom shall be dispossessed. Seir also his enemies shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly, and one from Jacob shall exercise dominions and destroy the survivors of cities. Then he looked on Amalek and took up his discourse and said, Amalek was the first among the nations, but its end is utter destruction. And he looked on the Kenite and took up his discourse and said, Enduring is your dwelling place and your nest is set in the rock. Nevertheless, Cain, the Kenites, shall be burned when Asher takes you away captive. And he took up his discourse and said, Alas, who shall live when God does this? But ships shall come from Kittim and shall afflict Asher and Eber, and he too shall come to utter destruction. Yay! Then Balaam rose and went back to his place, and Balak also went his way. This is what's happening in the latter days, in the distant future. So some of Balaam's oracles here, you could see how they'd be somewhat fulfilled um, in King Saul, like, like taking on Agag, and, 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 and then moving, uh, moving on to King David. You'd see some of this fulfilled in King David, as well, but then there's clearly a word about the Messiah here, isn't there? A star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. A star and a king. A star comes and a king comes. And that king is going to be much greater than Saul. His king is going to be much greater than David. The star is the one that shone over Bethlehem. The birth of the Messiah. The birth of the Christ. Pretty much any commentator will tell you that yeah, there's some, there's some ways where this Oracle of Balaam points to the, 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 the closer future, the near future of Israel, but the, but the ultimate fulfillment absolutely comes with King Jesus. Jesus is the king that is going to wipe out God's enemies. He is the king that is going to make sure that God's people are safe and secure forever. And there's nothing that Balak or any other king can do about it. This is glorious good news. If you've never listened to this, listen to it now. The God who loves us, the God who never changes His mind, has sent His Son. And God has defeated your only real enemies through Jesus. On the cross, 
Jesus has defeated your sin. He has completely paid the penalty for your sin. He has defeated Satan on the cross. He has defeated death and hell on the cross. And one day, He will bring all those who trust in Him into eternal joy. And He will send all those who reject Him to eternal punishment in hell. Have you trusted in Christ? Have you repented of your sin and trusted in Christ as your Savior? The saddest part of this whole story is that, is that Balaam, is that Balaam who heard the voice of God and even passed along God's word, he never turned to God. He never trusted in God. He never put his faith in God. He never, he never cared about the, the word that he was passing along. He, he died in his sins. We'll, we'll see over the next few weeks that, that Balaam dies in his sins. He dies rejecting the truth that he was declaring. Here's the, here is the sad, scary thing for, for all of us in this room. You can be as close to the truth as Balaam was and still die in your sin. There is, there is a way in which I would be shocked if any of you walked away from the Gospel. There's a way in which I would be shocked if you said, you know what, Steve, I'm never coming back to church. I'm done with the Gospel. I don't believe it. I don't, I don't believe it. I want nothing to do with it. There would be a way in which I would be shocked, but then there would be a way in which I've seen so much. I'm only 39 years old, but I've seen so much where I'm not surprised by anything anymore. People get really, really, really close to the truth and then walk away from it. Have you personally trusted Christ as your Savior to to forgive you from the sins that you have committed? Please believe the Gospel of Jesus Christ. I can't think of anything more urgent to tell you. And if you have questions about that, come find me afterwards. We'll be, we'll be last in line for the hog roast, but that's fine. We can talk about this and we can talk as long as you want to talk about this. If you have any questions, come find me. Please believe the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you have believed the Gospel, then, then let's, let's look at uh, the end of verse 10 in chapter 23. Let's look at that again. I love what Balaam says. I love what Balaam says. And we know he's saying it because he can say nothing else. We know from the way that he dies, he doesn't mean it. But listen to what Balaam says. He says, let me die the death of the upright and let my end be like his. Here's the the truth. If you believe the Gospel, if you're trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you belong to God, then you are headed for an enviable death. Everyone's going to die. Everyone is going to die. Jesus doesn't come back. Everyone here is going to die. This is the way to do it though. Let me die the death of the upright. Let me die the death of the people of God. At your funeral, people who know, people who understand, they're going to say, what a way to go. He believed 
the gospel. She believed the right, the, the, the gospel. And, and right now, she is like a cedar planted by the river. Numbers 23, 6 says, actually, is this 24? I think 24, 6. Either way, it says, like palm groves that stretch afar, like gardens beside a river, like aloes that the Lord has planted. This is the future of the people of God, like cedar trees beside the waters. Now, a tree expert, I, I have no idea, um, we had a couple guys over uh, last night, and they, they cut up a tree. And they're like, what kind of tree is this? I was like, I, I have no idea. And it's been less than 24 hours. And I can't, one of them knew what it was, and I can't even remember what they said. So I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think about trees. But people who do know about trees will tell you it's stupid to plant a cedar tree by the waters. You don't need to. You don't need to plant cedar trees by the waters. That's, that's overkill. Because, because the, the, the cedar tree is so strong. The, the roots are so strong. They don't need to be by the, by the rivers. You only, you only plant weak trees by the river so they have more water in their roots. This is, this, the cedar tree planted by the water is doubly strong. It's unbreakably strong. This is the future, the eternal future for the people of God. They are safe and secure and strong forever. They've overcome by the blood of the Lamb. That's how I want to go out. I want to go out knowing that the God who never changes His mind loves me. I want to go out knowing the God who never changes His mind loves me. And He showed His great love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Let's believe this. And let's live like we believe it. No one can ever rip God's blessing away from His people. Let's pray together. God, we thank You for Your Word. We pray that You'd help us to believe it. Help us to live like we believe it. I pray that if there's anybody here who's not sure about the Gospel, never believed the Gospel, I pray that they would believe it today. Just being near the truth doesn't save us. We need to believe the truth. I pray, God, that You would sink that into us today. I pray that You would help us to find great comfort in the fact that You never change Your mind. That You will not allow our blessing, our eternal blessing, life with You forever, You will never allow that to be ripped away. Forgiveness we have in Christ, You'll never allow that to be ripped away. The love that You have for us because of the Gospel, You'll never allow that to be ripped away. Help us to believe that. Help us to believe it. And I pray, God, that You'd help us to live like we believe it, with with joy and contentment and determination to, to live holy lives. Thank you for your great grace. In Christ's name, amen.